For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told, as I take you into the backstage conversations that I have with other front men and front women. And today, we got another legend on the show. It's exciting. Men without hats, baby. We're going to take it back. To the late 70s, the early 80s, into the 90s, and also right here into 2022, because there's a new Men Without Hats album out, and it's good, by the way. Ivan is here. He's on the program today. Man, what an opportunity I have as the host of this podcast to be able to pick a guy's brain like his. This guy has seen it all. This is a great conversation. Um, my internet, I think it was, I'm going to blame myself. My internet, a little sketchy. I did this kind of not in my usual place in my usual setup. Um, I know my boy Josh edited the shit out of this to make it awesome. But if there's a little bit of a, a bleep and a bloop here and there, that's on me. Regardless, this is a great conversation. We talk about so much interesting things about just what it was like, you know, I mean, it's before my time a little bit too, you know, I'm, I'm born in 1981, 1982 was when the safety dance came out and took MTV by storm. And, uh, it's 
just such a cool, cool story. And uh, I'm so happy to be able to share this with all y'all. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Before we get into it, as I say, just about every week, because it's important, please, if you are listening to this on any platform, well, I know you listen to it on some platform. If you're listening to it, you're using some kind of app or something. Hit that follow slash subscribe slash whatever button right now if you can. If you just, I'll wait. Stop what you're doing. Just find that follow button. It really does go a long way in, you know, the algorithms and all that stuff. Um, it really does help me out. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Uh, also, please check out our sponsors. We got some really good ones. Rockabilly, of course. Get Sunday if you need lawn care. And of course, Riverside.fm, which I should have been using for this, but I couldn't based on my setup. They are the best. If you got a podcast or, or a video cast or, or anything like that, you should be using Riverside.fm as well. So check them out. We got some promo codes. You'll hear the ads in the middle. Um, if you really want to help with the show, you can become a sinner. That's what I call the beautiful people in the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club that pay their hard-earned money of $6 a month to be in, to support it, to keep it coming, to keep the lights on around here. And of course, there's perks, there's bonus episodes, there's merchandise, access to an amazing community of other music fans. We're on there all the time talking about stuff. Love you all guys. Uh, thank you for all the love, all the support. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. If you want to get in, I'll give that link one more time. Come on. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all all access and lots going on with me personally. I'm going on tour. My band Silverstein, March 26th. We're starting it out with Beartooth, the Devil Wears Prada and Era. It's a huge tour. We're playing some different cities. Um, but when you look and you don't see your city on there, maybe check out where places like Edinburgh, Texas are or Trenton, New Jersey and realize Trenton, New Jersey, not that far from a lot of things. So it's going to be a very exciting tour. You can get tickets over at, I think it's BeartoothTickets.com. That's a tour you do not want to miss. So much great music. And we announced a new album. It's coming out May 6th. It's called Misery Made Me. The latest single, Ultraviolet, is out right now. We filmed a couple videos this weekend too. And we got some more singles, some more videos and a whole bunch of music coming out. So it's an exciting time for me and my band Silverstein. I encourage you to check all that out as well. Anyway, this is a great conversation. I enjoyed it so much. And I can't wait for you to hear from the man, the myth, the legend. Here he is, Ivan Dorshuk for Men Without Hats. Well, we can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. Say we can go where we want to, place where they will never find And we can act like we come from out of this world, leave the real one far behind We can dance I'm here with Ivan of Men Without Hats, a legendary band, Canadian band I myself is Canadian, uh, it's an honor sir to have you today on the podcast, thank you for joining me oh, Thanks for having us yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of lot of exciting stuff happening. Uh, a new Men Without Hats record, which does not happen very often at all. It's your first new album in a decade. Yeah, this is exciting stuff. I mean, are you excited? Oh yeah, 
Sure. We had a lot of fun making it, so I'm excited to have people listen to it. Absolutely. Now, was this record, you know, I have to ask, because I know how the music industry works. Was this record made pre-pandemic, um, during the pandemic, uh, part 50-50? How did you put this thing together? Because I do feel like what we've all been through has got to dictate, you know, just not only how it's put together, but the subject matter. Yeah, well, we did it during what went on, but we had planned to take the time off anyway. We had we had already slated to take the year off and go in a, go in a studio and, and do record. And we we had turned down a whole bunch of touring and everything like that, so it didn't affect us. Didn't affect our agenda at all. Right. Uh, the songs, a lot of the songs, uh, like our first single is, is called "If the World Should End Today." Uh, just coincidentally, it was you know it wasn't written. It wasn't written. Uh, during what happened it was it was written about five years ago (laughs) right what we did with this record is we went back into the vault and got a lot of old demos that never made it to you know even pop goes the world or the safety dance era that that type of thing and then we i had written a lot of songs in the back of the tour bus for the last 10 years we've been on the road so um and then we, but when we got into studio, we wrote a couple of new ones. It always inspires you to be in studio. So we wrote, we wrote a couple of new things in the studio. And, uh, one of them was called, uh, the humanist. So, uh, I think that was pretty much, uh, inspired by events. You know, it's really interesting. And I have this in my notes here, how much similar your new stuff really is to, you know, the eras of the band you, you, you just touched on, you know, the safety dance era and pop goes the world era. And I, it really does not surprise me that some stuff is from that era. Like you pulled it from the vault because so many bands will say, okay, yeah, this sounds like our old stuff. We're going back to our roots, uh, you know, 40 year year anniversary and all this stuff. And then you hear the music and you're like, this doesn't sound anything like their old stuff. But for once you guys are really coming through on this. It must be very exciting to, you know, so many of your fans that have been with you guys for four decades. Yeah, no, it's great. We were we were lucky in, in in that regard. Another thing is like people. A lot of people ask me, is it is it hard for you know, a forty year old band to fit into current trends? And yeah, and I tell them like I don't I don't think so because the current trends are fitting in with me. You know, I open the radio and I hear all kinds of eighties influences all over the place: big drum sounds and synthesizers and samples and you know robot voices and uh-huh. it's. Uh, that's you know a lot of the stuff I listen to now is bands that are you know influenced or you know sound a lot like eighties bands. That's that's kind of what I what I still listen to. Well, yeah, it, it really it's really true, man. I mean, the, you know, I put on the safety dance and you know I hadn't listened to the song like I I hear it all the time. You know, it, it's a huge hit, and we'll get to that. But you know, you hear it around. But I actually, you know, listening to it, knowing I'm going to talk to you, kind of like critically analyzing it you know, the, the production, the sounds, um, you know, the way you recorded vocals and it's, it's incredible the influence that that song and, you know, a lot of your contemporaries at the time have on, you know, bands that are playing Coachella today, you know, huge indie rock bands and all these artists and, and, you know, a lot of the hip hop groups too. And it's amazing because, the safety dance almost sounds like if it, it could have come out today, you know? Yeah. And I, I guess a lot of that makes sense just by the ways that, you know, I read in your bio, you, you, you're using some of the same synthesizers, uh, like a profit um, synthesizer that you used 
you know, in 1982, making that record. Yeah. And that's like the one every band wants. We, we put it on our last record, you know, that's like the, the vintage, uh, synthesizer. But for you guys, that was like the new, the new instrument right at the time. That was it. That was our state of the art. You know, I can't believe we used to tour with like three of them. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, I, I don't even, I don't dare move mine like 10 feet across the room, you know, now, but, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a whole new world now. It's, uh, it's a lot. Of, a lot of the production then too came from the fact that there, were, you know, the technology was pretty undeveloped. You know, like we didn't use any sequencers. There was no, there were no computers. There was no sequencing programs, and so everything was done. Everything was synced up by hand. You know, we had the rhythm box, and everybody was kind of following the rhythm box, which gives it that kind of human feel. It does give it that kind of bounce to it, which sometimes is is missing from a lot of electronic music but uh, i think that was one of our strengths totally i mean i think so and you know you can really hear just how musical you guys are you know throughout your career and, and through the the changes and the ups and downs but i read that <laughs> i found this old interview uh, of you um talking about how when you started you were basically a cramps cover band um and that was surprising i i mean i understand like because you were one of the originators of, you know, electro pop and that sound and, and everything, it had to come from somewhere before that. But the cramps, I didn't just didn't picture you guys, you know, um, being like a punk rock band in the early days, which I found I find really interesting. Yeah, that was it. Basically, that was uh, we were. It was a uh, punk rock doing cramps and contortions covers and and Chris Spedding covers and stuff like that. And uh, I, I'm a classically trained pianist, so that kind of turned things around for me when I, I didn't, not that I got tired of the punk thing, but I, I, I consciously wanted to go in a more commercial kind of route. I wanted to take my message, which was a punk rock message, and, but get it, toward, get it to more people. And because uh, in those days, I mean, you know, it was like, like in the record, you'd go into the record store and there'd be all the, you know, classic rock records and there'd be one section. It was punk new wave. Yeah. And that's kind of how the shows were too. We were, we would share stages and, you know, co-bill with, with punk, punk rock bands because just because nobody else would book them, you know? So we were all getting booked at the same club that were, you know, that would book bands who couldn't get booked at all the, all the regular venues. So the, 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 you know, the punk new wave crowd, it was, you know, there were the, there were the hardcore punkers and then there was the new wave kind of people who came from, from the disco scene. You know, there was a, a widespread of, of people in that scene. So it was, it was good. It was good. To, a lot of people share the same, the same ideals and the same kind of goals. So it was cool. Yeah. And especially, I mean, you're talking about Montreal, right? I assume the, that's kind yeah, of where you, yes. where you came up, where you, where you grew up. I know you're out in um, uh, Victoria now. Beautiful. Um, but I mean, yeah. the Montreal scene in that, in those days, it, it must've been so interesting just with obviously, you know, there's the English, English speakers, the French speakers, the French bands, uh, the Francophone, you know, all that, that kind of culture happening in the late seventies. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you guys, you know, uh, the story I like to ask bands like like you from an earlier era is like, what was that, you know, okay, we got signed moment or how did that work? Because, you know, it's a lot different today <laughs> how, how bands get, you know, quote unquote discovered um, with the internet than back then it was like, you make a tape and hopefully someone listens to it. Yeah. And especially coming from Montreal, Montreal was a very sort of unique place. Um, 
in North, well, in North America and Canada for sure. Uh, it, I call it the little apple. It reminds me of New York and the, you know, besides the strong Montreal, New York con- musical connection that was already there, right. the, Mon- the Montreal music scene, the English music scene was about this, was really small. It was about the size of Hamilton's music scene, mm-hmm. you know, cause the, the French scene was huge. The, the French Canadians had their huge scene going. The English music scene was made up of English musicians who came from all across Canada who had migrated to Montreal to sort of, you know, enjoy the, uh, the, you know, later closing hours of the bars and the later, you know, the earlier ages of uh, being able to purchase alcohol and, uh, you know, other kinds of things that tradition, Montreal traditions that, it's a party town, that you know, yeah, yeah. it, it, it was great, yeah. conducive to bands and conducive to putting a band together. You'd meet all kinds of people, guy from Vancouver, meet a guy from Halifax and put a band <laughs> together with a with some French guy on drums, you know? <laughs> so um, it was that kind of scene. And New York is kind of like that too. New York is the music scene in New York is made up of everybody from all across America who goes to New York to make it. And uh, so, and Montreal, but the other thing that's unique about Montreal is, is that there, there, in my days, there was no, there was no music industry. There was no, there was no like, establishment industry all the record labels were in toronto right and that right. that gave bands a huge amount of freedom to just to create like stuff that wasn't conforming with what was being looked for by the record executives they knew that there wasn't that there was going to be no guy in the back of the room when they played there was no guy in the back of the room with a big cigar and a wad of cash and a contract so they so they just like they just experimented it was the it was the most the craziest times because there was you know bands just didn't care they just they just did whatever they wanted to there was no there was no there was no reason to become the next spoons or the next parachute club or anything like that because there was no chance that anybody was going to notice it <laughs> and uh, so that made you know a lot of a lot of bands you know, there was, there, and, and I drew upon it and I was one of those bands who wanted to be the next ones and the next, you know, <laughs> who wanted to fit in. And, and so for me to be able to do my craft and, and to be able to sort of, that was like a well for me, you know, of, of, of inspiration, just being able to go to places like Fofu and Electric and, and see all these bands that, you know, you just like, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. I was going to say you, you brought up uh, Fafoon's Electronic, which is Foof's. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, it's still a staple, you know, in punk culture today for anybody, anybody that's from Montreal or has been to Montreal and is in punk rock at all will know Foof's. Um, but that's amazing that it's been a thing that long, like since you were a kid Oh yeah. Uh, in the late 70s. That That is, that's just really cool to hear because I, I don't know the, you know, I'm from Toronto area, not Montreal. So I don't know the history um, that it went back that far. Yeah, that's crazy. I hung out when it was it was called something else. When I started hanging out there, it was called the Clasha, Clasha Celeste, which means the celestial drunkard. <laughs> wow! So from the, from the celestial drunkard to the electric asshole. <laughs> Amazing. What um what? So so then, how did it happen? Then how did you you know you had it sounds like you had a lot of um uh, aspirations as a young person in Montreal with this, you know, a type of music that was groundbreaking, cutting edge at the time, something that was, you know, on the, on, on the up and up, you know, a lot of the, the punk rock guitar driven music was starting to fall out of favor a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. so how did it happen? How did you get signed? How did you get, you know, discovered? 
Well, we just started sending out demos. Like I said, you made a tape and you sent it off. You made 40 tapes and you sent them all off to every record label that was in the phone book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we got turned down by every label in Canada. Got, we got noticed by a small label in London, in the, in the UK, a label but that would start, had been started by a guy who used to work for Virgin, had bands like the Chameleons and the Slits, you know, a couple of cool bands on, on the label. He, uh, he also had the, what, what did it, well, he had the Dead Kennedys in the UK and stuff like that. So it was a cool, it was a cool little label and he picked us up. And so we were being di- distri- distributed in Canada on Warner's on a label that it, as an import on, 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 you know, kind of as, as an import band, as a, so that's when a lot of people started thinking we were from Australia or something like that, you know, or, from, <laughs> sure. or that we weren't Canadian. People sort of didn't, didn't, didn't realize we were Canadian because we were being, the, our first album came out as an import. People had to pay $15 and back then it was a lot of money. Oh, totally. No, that, that always pissed me off as a fan too. When, when I would, you know, be like, what do you mean import? Like the band is from wherever they're from. Why is this an import? It would, it would bother me. And especially if it's a Canadian band, um, that's, that's really funny. That's a throwback too. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys went through some some pretty crazy ups and downs. I mean, the, the ups I'd love to talk about, uh, especially the early you know, the early days of MTV, you know, having a music video, um, was a huge deal there. I, I assume there just weren't that many music videos either at the time. Yeah, that's exactly the point. There's a, so they had top, they had five videos. There was five videos on the air. And you, so you, my video was playing like, you know, four times an hour. Yeah. I mean, how huge was that? It was pretty massive. Well, that must have been very strange, right? Like almost like today, everyone's talking about, you know, TikTok or, or whatever the latest social media is. That was like all of those things combined, you know, in, in 1982 or 83 or whenever it was. Oh yeah, that was the, that was the first thing. That was the, the start of it all. And uh, yeah, my, my recognition just went through the roof overnight. I was just overnight, basically. We were on tour. I mean, like when I, when it first happened, we were, we were on tour and we had pulled up somewhere. We'd pulled the tour bus up in front of some uh, grocery store to get, just to get some food. And we were all in there shopping and I was paying, I was at the cashier paying for my food and the cashier is, you know, teenager. And she, she looks up at me and then she starts screaming, pointing (laughs) her finger, screaming, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. And the only thing I could think of was that she had mistaken me for somebody who had just robbed the store or something like that. I couldn't figure out, <laughs> I couldn't figure out what she was up to, you know? And, and another, and I was freaking, you know, what the hell? She kept screaming and she started crying. It's him, it's him, you know? And I started getting scared. I didn't know what was going on. Another cashier comes over. What's up? What's up? It's him. It's him. It's the guy from the video. It's the guy from the video. And then I realized that I just like left all my stuff there. I just ran out of the store back onto the bus, you know? And it was great. And that's, that's, that was, that was my first experience with MTV fame. Wow. That's such a cool story. Wow. Um, well, you know, it, 
obviously that song was is still I mean still like one of the most important songs in modern you know alternative music but you know um you guys continued it with pop goes the world which I remember my sister my sister's a few years older than me so I'm I'm 41 my sister is 47 and uh, I remember her just in her room dancing like pop goes the world like over and over and over and over again that song which, which was another you know massive hit she would dance yeah. in her room. The whole the whole house would shake from her dancing to this song. Um, she'll, she's going to be very excited. I talked to you, um, but you know, being able to follow up that hit with a hit like that, um, obviously, you know, a few years later. But I mean, that was a, a tremendous success, right? Because of all the changes that had happened. You know, there wasn't five videos on MTV anymore. Yeah, no, it was a different world right then too. Yeah, MIDI. If you for all the musicians who don't know anything about keyboards midi came in brand new invention that allowed us to to hook every keyboard we had up together and play you know play one note and have them all come out of every every keyboard and hook it up with the drum machine and sync it up with the sequencer and sync it up you know it was a whole new world for us we'd been right. doing all this by hand and uh so that's why that's why the difference if you listen to pop goes the world day album and you compare it to rhythm of youth it there's a more orchestral feeling there's a sort of a broader scope to pop goes the world and uh that's that's just what happens. That was tech. That's it. Also, must have you know made the world more competitive too, right? Now, like any idiot that that used to play a power chord, um, now can just hit a button on a keyboard and make some something sound cool. Whereas you're a classically trained pianist. Um, was there ever? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but did that like piss you off, or did that make you feel like? Hey, look at us! Like we're we're the we're the real guys over here with the real talent. We're not just you know literally hitting one key. No, I mean we we already took enough flack from the generation that came before us. The Woodstock generation didn't think we were real musicians already with our rhythm boxes <laughs> and our synths. You know, they were like in our in our zipper clothes. They just like they couldn't take it. But uh, yeah. I've always said that being in a young band anyways, like being on a hockey team, there's competition. You're fighting for, there's only so many places on the charts. There's only so many clubs in every town. There's only so many days in a week. There's only so many newspapers. There's only so many journalists writing articles. There's only so many reviews. I mean, you're fighting for a lot of limited spots there. It's like, it's like the NHL for every guy who makes it. There's a, a, a billion who don't, you know, and, and that's what, that's kind of what the, the music industry is like too, for every single that makes it on the, on the radio, makes it to number one, there's a whole bunch that don't. So, you know, that's one of the, one of the things that I sort of, I got into this, I do what I do because I, I started off ultimately because I started off, I was a fan. I was a music fan. I grew up, I grew up listening to music and immersed in the culture in the seventies. And, uh, and that's it. You know, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's a long road. Absolutely. Well, I want to get into some of those influences that you have and, and, you know, your EP, but before I do, I want to talk about 1991 and the sideways record. Um, my sister had this record too, and she didn't like that one as much. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, for people that don't know the history, uh, basically men without hats went rock, um, brought in guitars, a lot less keyboards or, or maybe no keyboards actually. And it was, there was one, one, there was one, there was one, <laughs> <laughs> one song had it. Okay. Well, regardless, it was, you know, kind of the, um, the end, you know, of the, that early era of the band. And, um, you know, my sister didn't like it. I did, but my sister liked Depeche Mode and Erasure. I like Nirvana and Metallica. So, you know, different, different strokes, but you know, for you guys to make that decision at the time 
to do that. What was going through kind of your mind? Um, because I listened back to a couple songs today, and it's actually pretty pretty solid, man. And didn't really sound like anything else. Like it was also, it wasn't like you were just ripping off the the big bands of the time. You know, you were doing your own thing at the same time. It still sounds like, you know, Ivan, the songwriter and the singer. Yeah. What happened um, industry-wise is that we owed the record label one more record. We had just finished 21st Century and it was a, a huge kerfuffle. We had been signed to the, a Canadian record label and, you know, things didn't go exactly the way this label had planned it. And so we owed them another record and they weren't really too keen on doing it because we, we owed, they owed us a lot of money. And so I told them, I, I'd been hanging out with, with John Kasner and Michelle away from the drummer from Voivod and a bunch of other guys. And we would, when the bars closed in Montreal, we'd all, you know, end up more often than not back at our jam space, just playing until the sun came up, just jamming. And uh, I had written a bunch of songs. And so I told the record label, I said, hey, listen, give me half of the money that you're supposed to give me. Give me half of the money that says on the contract and let me do the and they, they jumped at it. You know, any occasion for them to save money is they'll go for it. And <laughs> so they did and they went for it. And so we made sideways and uh, we had, um, that's like probably the most fun I had making a record. And that was it. The record label had no clue, had not a clue what to do with it. They had no, there was, yeah. there was no keyboards for them. For them, it wasn't men without hats. And they didn't understand that. I told them, I said, listen, it's 91. It, grunge hadn't really really taken over like it did in that decade and we were trying to explain to them listen this is going to be the music of the next 10 years why don't you guys get on board and they just uh that's cold feet well you were you were right (laughs) it certainly was um you know it certainly was the music of the next 10 years um and you took a hiatus and you came back um you know and now we've got some new music which I'd love to talk about yeah. uh, if you have some more time. Um, again, part one EP last year, doing a bunch of cover songs was kind of a cool way to sort of reinsert yourselves, I guess. Um, but I'm really blown away by their originals. I think this record is is really, really great. It just came out, what? It's, it's three days old. So this is a really, really exciting time. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's it. We had fun with the... Uh you know, with the covers. And then, like you say, it was a good way to, we hadn't made a record for 10 years and we didn't want to hit people over the head with a, you know, a huge magnum opus, like right off the bat. So we, we sort of like opened the door, stuck our foot in with the, uh, with the EP last September. And we got a great response from the people like that. They were, and it made people just say, Oh, can't wait for the album. The album, like I said, is a collection of, of, of songs. It's a 40 year songwriting Span so it's that kind of played in our favor really because like you said it it really without even trying I was able to sort of pull stuff like from different periods of you know of, of the music sort of of, of of our music history and history in general so yeah it was uh, it was fun we have and we plus we've recorded like we have a lot more stuff in the can too it's like we we we're not that prolific as a band, but this time we we sure did a lot of we recorded a lot of stuff. We we did it the old school way, you know. You just find a find a cool old house somewhere, you know, that you can. We're going to be by yourself and not make not disturb any neighbors and make a lot of noise, and that's what we did. And just hold up for almost a year moved a mobile in there moved a mobile studio built our studio we had we had a gear we had a, a rig set up we had almost 25 
keyboards set up, plugged in all the time going. I just I put, could put a track down on any keyboard anytime I wanted to. It was, it was great. It was sort of the, with that sort of uh, ease of, of production. The, the question um, I, it really comes to mind when you talk about making this new album is um, the technology and you talk about it the early days doing everything by hand and then MIDI getting invented and now here we are you know uh decades decades later and we have pro tools and we have you know all this other stuff you can do in the box but it sounds like you chose to do this record pretty much completely analog uh, anyway i mean how did you record this we recorded to pro tools we, we did record it to, to pro tools but uh it was set up in a way that it was it was all ready to go all at once, and we uh, we we didn't go as far as as, la- as the last record we made. The last record, uh, "Love in the Age of War," Dave Rave and I actually said we're not we're not going to put more than like twenty four tracks down on each song because that's going to make us sort of get us back into the eighties territory, you know, like. Right. So we didn't we didn't go that we didn't go that far this time. We sort of we had like you know a gazillion tracks on every song too, which sometimes I think is a hindrance. You know, sometimes I, I look at it. You know, it's like when you go into when you go into the soft sound uh, libraries and stuff like that, and you want to find a piano sound, and you got to sort of scroll through like eighty thousand piano sounds that know. you know that to, to to pick one. You know, so it's like uh, it was kind of easier when when there wasn't that much choice back then. You know, there was there were there were there weren't that many options. Things went a little. Uh, I don't know, but that's me. I'm, you know. No, I agree. I agree, man. The, the amount of time I've wasted trying to fi- like just trying to find the right, well, whatever snare drum sound. It's like I don't need, you know, I don't need two hundred bad snare drum sounds. I need like five good ones. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this way, but this way we had it. Like we had, like I say, we had almost like you know twenty five keyboards going at the all time. I could stack up as many as I wanted, you know. So I really could, I could get a, a sound that was built out of like all, all my keyboards and I could hear what it sounded like right away. I didn't have to go and layer it and sort of, you know, scroll back and choose that and drag this down there. I just play the key and I could I play the keyboard, one keyboard and it, it blasted out every, you know, the sound that I wanted. So I could tell right away. Awesome. And then, yeah. Awesome. Well, vocally, your your sound just like you always did too. I you know your voice has not changed. I mean, um, I think that's a good thing, right? Because you have kind of a signature. Oh, I've, I've, yeah, I think it's even better. I'm like, what what happened actually is that when I started touring ten years ago, I uh, you know I hadn't done it for a while, but I was I was concerned that a lot of the tours, like the Retro Futura tour, we we did like the last one we did was forty five shows in a row. And I was just worried that my voice wouldn't last, wouldn't make it, you know, mm-hmm. and that I would not only not, not be able to make it, but do damage somewhere. Yeah. And so what happened was that Colin, Colin's been my vocal, my vocal teacher for forever. And uh, he, he deconstructed my voice and rebuilt it. And it took about six months. And, uh, but now I can sing, like I could sing forever, really. It's uh, so in, in a lot of ways, my voice is better than it was. It was, doesn't have that youthful sort of angst, uh, you know, type of anger. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe, but it's, it's probably, you know, but it's, it's technically I'm, I'm definitely a, a lot better. So 
It's good. I'm having fun with it. Wow. No, that's interesting. Now, I would probably not normally ask you exactly what the hell you mean, um, but this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, so I have to. Okay, what do you, exactly do you mean about six months of reconstruction? What what is what do you mean? What happens there? Just learning learning how to sing with the he he basically got me to just start from zero again and, and we started off as if I was a as if I was a new singer coming wow. in and singing for the first time and just doing simple, simple things and building, rebuilding, try to trying to undo the damage. I had done some damage to my chords by you know, by singing you know, unproperly or whatever, yeah. singing wrong. But, uh, so we had to sort of, you know, fix that, to get rid of the damage that had been done and just build it up and just, and, but that was it. Just singing, singing little things, but, you know, not trying too much at once and just going over and over repetition, repetition, building, building, just like a athlete builds a, a muscle builds. Mm -hmm. That was what I was doing, did with my voice. Wow. Wow. Well, the new record, again, part two is out and right now. just came out. Um, this is 12, 12 original tracks. Um, some of your best, I think, you've ever done. Uh, the, new, the new single, Thank you. Uh, The World Should End Today, is is a hauntingly beautiful track. Great production as well. And everybody should check it out. Um, right. Are you guys? Thank I you. see you guys have some UK dates uh, in May. Uh, what else? Are you guys doing any shows on this side of the pond or anything? Yeah, uh, we're going to be uh, doing the Lost 80s tour this summer in uh, in the States with the uh, Flock of Seagulls, the English Beat, and Wang Chung. And then we're heading up to Canada, and we're going to be doing uh, a fall tour in Canada. The Quebec dates are already coming in. We're doing we're starting off in, in, in Quebec in September, so we should be hitting Ontario very shortly, either before that or after that, but I, in the fall. I love it. I encourage everybody to go check you guys out. Um, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I'd love to play a new track uh, from the new record. Uh, you got a preference of what I play? No, go ahead, pick one. Go for it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, if the world should end today. Here it is on lead singer syndrome. Ivan, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Take care. should end today If the world should end right now It wouldn't matter anyway It wouldn't matter anyhow If the world should end
And there is new music from Men Without Hats. If the world should end today, coming from the brand new album, Again Part 2, which just came out, 14 tracks, chock full of bangers. It really is impressive how much this sounds like the original album from 1982, Rhythm of Youth. Really, really cool. Definitely check this out. It's amazing how ahead of their time Men Without Hats were and how influential. So I want to thank Ivan and the entire team, his whole publicity team, for making this happen. And I want to thank you so much for listening to this. Please, like I said before, if you can hit that subscribe button, that follow button, whatever it is, it would really mean a lot. And remember, I'm back every week. And we talk about new music every Friday as well. So there's lots to listen to on this channel. It's exciting. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. So why don't we do it? Let's end off with the song that rattled my entire house for my sister dancing back in the <laughs> back in the late 80s. Here's a hit that you might you might not have heard before. It's a great song. Pop Goes the World for Men Without Hats on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next time.